Welcome to episode 50 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined in virtual studio by my co-host, my good friend, and the man who looks up to Clark Griswold, John Scott Sloat. Doc, how's it going? Episode 50. Yeah, this feels like a little bit of a milestone. Yeah, where, where did the time go? 50. That's that's remarkable. I, I, I was not expecting to record 50 episodes this year. Yeah, but here we are. Here we are. And we look like we're going to be able to uh, run the entire year offering weekly content. We've got, a, at least we have a plan for that. That's crazy. Hmm. Yes. So we're about halfway through December and uh, obviously Christmas approaching. Uh, and um, if you'd like to get in touch with us on the pod, you can find us on Twitter at V and S pod. You can hit us up by email, various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page. You can find us at various and sundry podcast, the podcast page. And if you'd like to, we would love for you to go on to the Apple uh, podcast app and leave a review and a five star rating. Yeah, please. Five stars. No, no. We're, we're open to critical feedback, but just five stars. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So are you, uh, since we're about halfway through December here, John, how, how is, how is your Christmas shopping coming along? Um, my Christmas shopping has been done for a few weeks now. So I was done before Thanksgiving this year, which I think is a record. Okay. Now, how does it work in, I mean, obviously you, you're, you're recently married here, so you're still figuring these things yep. out, but yep. uh, in, in our marriage, basically I just have to buy for my wife and my wife just sort of takes over for the rest of the family gift giving. So um, are you still on the hook for your side of the family or how, how's that working out in your, in, in your, in your marriage here? Um, yeah, we really collaborated a lot on my side of the family. Um, I think Andrea took care of most of her side of the family, but I had input as well, but she obviously just knows them better than I do. Sure. So she, she took care of that for the most part, but we, we collaborated quite a bit on my side of the family and I, and I bought for her, which I've started using in order to get gifts for her, started using Amazon, like drop points, you know, like, so I I can get stuff shipped to a store in the area. And then when she's not home or I'm out, I can go and pick it up at the store and bring it back without it being delivered potentially when she's here or something like that. I see. Is, are you suggesting that she would intentionally or unintentionally open something that was uh, for her? I don't think she would intentionally open anything okay. that was for her, but you know, I want to remove any temptation, remove any stumbling block there and, uh, and uh, make sure that uh, the integrity of Christmas is maintained. Yes. <laughs> well said, well said. So we are, uh, as we noted, halfway through December. And that means we are uh, basically at the end here of NFL week 14 uh, we're recording on a Monday afternoon, so the uh, Monday night game, uh, it's it's Browns-Ravens, is that right, tonight? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so that Browns should Ravens. be a reasonably good game. But yeah, the, Brown, the Browns seem to be playing really well right now, um, and the Ravens, um, a, little, a little worse than maybe I expected at the beginning of the yeah, game. Yeah, I think so. 
So tell us about your Jets, John. Where are we, where do we stand in the quest to tank for the number one draft pick, presumably Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, well, you know, last week was a nail biter, right? We yes. Last second play to uh, uh, the failing Raiders right now. Yes, right? yes, indeed. Um, this week we played the Seahawks, who suffered a bad loss a week ago. Um, we got blown out, I think, forty to three. Uh, like, it, like it wasn't even close. Now, what's funny, if you go back throughout the season, we generally score first. So we were up three nothing in this game. <laughs> Then we gave up 40 points and never recovered. I see. I see. And that's that's about all there is for the Jets right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that there's much else to say there. Um, I think the other thing that caught my attention from the NFL weekend was the fact that uh, the uh, Bills beat the mm-hmm. Steelers. So now the Steelers have lost two in a row, I believe. That's correct. Yeah, and I heard Mike Tomlin is is freaking out and said, well, we're going to start practicing in pads now, um, which I didn't realize they weren't practicing in pads before. But when they were 11-0, and 0, nobody was thinking that they were a dominant team. I mean, when, when uh, you... when you close games, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody looked at them and thought, wow, this team is a legit threat to go the season undefeated. Nobody was Nobody was thinking that. No. So not surprising that they lost at Buffalo. And um, yeah, we'll see how the Browns do tonight uh, as we record on Monday afternoon. But let's uh, before we uh, let's let's just actually stay with football, but move over to the college side if you're good with that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, last weekend should have this past weekend should have been the weekend that uh, Ohio State hung 100 points on that team up north. And uh, that game was unfortunately, sorry, the game, as it's affectionately known, was uh, was canceled because uh, the Wolverines did not think they had enough players to put a competitive team on the field. So uh, there was lots of uh, eye-rolling and hand-wringing um, from the from the Ohio State side when when that was announced, and the I mean they made that announcement what Tuesday Wednesday last week something like that Tuesday Tuesday um, and so there was a lot of talk of Ohio State scheduling a game with Texas A and M are not a lot of probably a lot of pipe dreams weren't weren't anything that was all social media hype there was absolutely no chance that was going to happen um, but no it would chance been, it would have been fun. Um, it would have been a fun game to watch. Yeah. What's interesting is that all of the A&M fans are, you know, clamoring for it. And um, when you look at what the line would be in Vegas on that game on a neutral field, Ohio State by 11 and a half. So the folks in Vegas don't think that'd be that great of a game. <laughs> um, but uh but yeah, so, and they've they've allowed them into they they've put Ohio State officially in the Big Ten championship game. They made an exception for them. Uh, yes, I think it's important to make some clarifying statements on this because th- there there was some sloppy reporting about this that um, was was misleading. So allow me to set the record straight. Okay. So the the Big Ten rule going into this COVID shortened season was that you needed to play six games in order to qualify for the conference championship game. 
So Ohio State had only played five once uh, the team up north canceled on them. And so um, several, uh, I'd say a large number of Indiana football fans, which before this year, who even knew that there were such things, (laughs) but um, were uh, lamenting the fact that the Big Ten Conference was about to vote to change that rule. Because if they didn't change that rule, a five, a, I think Indiana is five and one, five and one or six and one. I can't remember. But in other, in other words, they had enough games in order to qualify. But what was, uh, I think, lost in the shuffle as all of these people are bemoaning the look at this favoritism shown towards Ohio State. You know, the conference is just in it for the money. Um, a, a couple things should be should be noted here. The first is. Ohio State and Indiana played, and Ohio State won. Mm -hmm. The second thing to note is that if Ohio State had played a game on Saturday, and even if they had lost by 100 points, they would have still made the Big Ten championship game. So the issue was not, um, it was simply a number of games, not, there was no real compelling case for, well, IU should be in over Ohio State. Hmm. So uh, it feels important to set the record straight, I think, on, on that front. Okay. So Ohio State moves on to play N- Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. Mm-hmm. And um, every, from everything I can see, it seems like as long as Ohio State wins, they will be one of the four teams in the college football playoff, even though they will finish the regular season at 6-0. and mm-hmm. The that's, other, a, that's what I see as well. I think, I yeah. think they'll be in the final four. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the other big headline from the weekend was Florida, this amazing, awesome Florida team that people were talking up, lost to LSU at home to an LSU team that was three and five going into the game mm-hmm. and was missing. They were down to like 55 scholarship players when the game started. And, uh, and Florida lost to them in part because of a colossally stupid play. Did you see this, John? I did not. I did not see any highlights from this game. Okay. So tie ball game, about two minutes left. LSU has the ball probably about their own 35 yard line. It's like third and 10. They complete a short pass. Guy gets tackled in bounds. Well, short of the first down in the process. So basically it should be fourth down. LSU is going to have to punt to Florida. Sure. And in the process of making the tackle, the LSU wide receiver, his shoe came off. Mm -hmm. So a Florida defensive back picked up the shoe and chucked it like 15, 20 yards. On the field? On the field. On the field. And Hmm. so when you see this happen, like literally he completes the throwing motion and instantaneously two flags land right at the kid's feet. Like he was obviously you know, caught in the act. Sure. So instead of it being fourth down, that's an automatic first down 15 yards. LSU goes on to kick the game winning field goal from 57 yards. Florida had a chance to kick a tying field goal, missed it from like 52. So basically this very boneheaded play by a Florida player cost them uh, the game late. Hmm. But um Yeah one of those bizarre games. And plus the game that there was fog 
So the fog just kept creeping in. So that it was kind of kind of eerie feel to it in terms of watching the game, just a weird kind of, kind of game there. Um, we should move on to let's, let's hit a quick NBA note. Uh, NBA season starts in like a week. Yeah. It's, it's, start, I started getting updates of NBA games, uh, the preseason games that have been played. Right. Um, and so that's, that was kind of weird when I pulled up my phone. Oh, the Knicks played tonight. You know, I was able to, to see some box scores and different things like that. that was yeah. Funny. Obviously some of the bigger headlines there, you had some buzz that, uh, Kyrie Irving has decided not to talk to the media. And so he, he got like a $25,000 fine, I think, or something like that. And uh, yeah, <laughs> ma- made some statement about, you know, I hope that money's going to go to help the hurting and the, you know, the suffering and that kind of stuff. But he's, his, he's an, he's a interesting dude. Um, and James Harden still wants out of Houston, despite picking up John Wall as a teammate. Yes, that's, that's exactly what he wanted. Another ball dominant point guard uh, for uh, <laughs> to be playing beside. But Harden has had what he like. I mean, I don't know how else you design a better team around him. Do you? Than what, he ha- than what he had. I mean, he was the ball dominant guy and you surround him with four shooters. Mm-hmm. Like, w- w- what else do you want, James? Like, yeah. well, and he's talking. Brooklyn um, to be with Steve Nash, I guess. Um, and then he's also talking Philly. I, I think it's the other place I heard for James Harden. Yeah. I've also heard some rumblings about Miami is another landing place. But... Oh, don't mess up. That's a fun team to watch. My, Miami's a, a, a fun watch. Don't ruin that team. But I'll be curious to see what they look like in a regular season now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I'm still a little skeptical about that team because I think they might've caught the sort of uh, lightning in a bottle in the bubble, good set of circumstances to get them where they were Mm -hmm. over the course of a regular season and a regular kind of playoff grind. I'm not, I'm not sure that they're a finals caliber team this year in a sort of normal year. Mm -hmm. Well, we should probably check in on baseball Let's start with uh, an update on your Mets, John. What's going on with them? Yeah, very exciting. Uh, we signed a catcher, um, uh, McCann, to a, to a four-year, $40 million contract. Uh, and he caught the only no-hitter in baseball last year. And he bats in the upper 200s. Um, appears to be a very good just locker room guy and, and a number of other things. So we're very excited to have him. Uh, and it just shows that we we have money now, which is which is a new thing for Mets fans. And we hired a GM, uh, uh, Jared Porter, a guy out of uh, he did he won two or th- two World Series with the Boston Red Sox and one with the Cubs in the front office. Um, and so now he's coming to the Mets, and uh, yeah, hopefully, I mean, just just knocks it out of the park, pun intended. We shall see. We shall it'll be, see. It'll be a fun season. It'll be a real fun season. One other baseball note. Uh, this news broke last night, and there's still some conflicting reports about this, but the reports are that the Cleveland Indians will be changing their nickname. But they haven't announced what that new nickname is going to be because I don't think they've decided. Yeah. And there's a lack of clarity on 
how soon they're going to drop the this Indians nickname, whether they're going to continue this season under that nickname and then change it at the end or, or what that looks like. But um, it looks like uh, we might be forced to uh, talk about the Cleveland baseball team in the yeah. meantime. Yeah, the Cleveland baseball team, which I think that's worked out for Washington, the Washington football team. Uh, uh, yeah, it, I don't know. It seems out. I think it's worked out pretty nicely. Um, I think it's got, I think it's, yeah, I think it's got a good sound to it. It seems to be sticking. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just don't know that that's going to work, but <laughs> who knows? Well, we'll, we'll see what they come up with here in the next couple of years. Yes. Yes, indeed. So that brings us to our main topic for this episode. And we are going to talk about celebrity Christianity. And so, John, talk us through why we're talking about this particular topic. Um, well, it, it's something that comes up again and again and again, I think. I, I think we can rattle off five or six big name famous pastors or uh, uh, influential evangelicals, we could say that, um, that have come to fall morally, uh, in the last six, seven years. Um, and, uh, really it was prompted by, I got a, got an article in my, uh, Gmail inbox from David French, uh, sent it on to you and said, this might be something worth talking about. And, uh, that's, that's really where the conversation for, for this episode started, um, was, was that article, which we'll link in the show notes as well. Yeah. And I think that it's, uh, it is helpful probably to note that this is a topic that you and I have have talked about a number of times and over the course of many years now. So this goes back a ways in our sort of personal conversations. Um, and in response to that article that you sent me, I sent you in return one by Carl Truman, um, who all the way back in 2014 raised serious concerns about celebrity pastors and celebrity uh, Christianity within the reformed evangelical movement. So in, in one sense, this is nothing new, though this is the first time I think we've directly uh, addressed it here on the pod. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the David French, the Carl Truman article, while very good, does not name any names. Correct. Uh, he doesn't, I can kind of figure out who he's talking about by talking about ghost writers and, and different things like that. And the elephant room. And the elephant room, yeah. Um, but he doesn't, you know, David French talks about, um, which I, I'm not even sure I was aware of this guy, but this uh, this this pastor named, or former pastor named Carl Lentz. Um, were, were you familiar with him before this article? Um, I, I don't think I was familiar with him by name um, before this scandal broke. And so I, I had heard of the scandal before you'd sent me the David French article, but, um, I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm pretty confident. I didn't know this guy's name before this broke did, back in November. Did you know his face? No, I don't think or, so. Or the image provided in the David French article. Um, no. it's, it's really the classic look of a pastor. <laughs> Um, if, yeah. If, if by classic look of a pastor, you mean a, a hipster wannabe, 
trying to dress like a Hollywood celebrity pastor, then yes. Are you looking at the image right now? Do you have the image up? I do. Well, give me give me some give me some feedback. What do you what are you noticing here? Okay, so you've got um, yeah, boy. I mean, you've got the the, the sort of the classic um, uh, stubble look. You've got the uh, the the hair that's kind of shaved up on the sides, and then um, you know got some product in it on the top. Uh, kind of uh, messy, but in a clearly intentional uh, way, kind of messy. Um, you've got the uh, the old uh, '70s era glasses kind of thing that are that are now back in in style. Yeah, yeah, the bar across the top there. And then you've got um, what appears to be a, he's got like a V-neck shirt underneath. He's got like a black hoodie and then some sort of gray jacket with some kind of logo there on the left side of the chest that is kind of obscured by, by the picture. But he's got the gold medallion as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you, if you didn't know who this guy was, and you just showed this picture, you would think he was some sort of celebrity slash entertainment figure, right? Or, or somebody who just went through like extreme makeover challenge or something like that and had like a team <laughs> descend on him and, and changed his look. Uh, you know, really, he's an accountant in, in uh, Virginia or so, you know, you know <laughs> and um, not a pastor of Hillsong Church in, uh, in New York City. Um, I, I had not heard of him. I had heard of Hillsong New York Church. I know it had taken off in the last uh, seven to 10 years. And um, I knew that uh, some celebrities had been there. And according to the David French article, uh, Justin Bieber had been there. Kevin Durant uh, had been there as well. Um, and, uh, and he was fired, I believe, on, right at the beginning of November um, for, uh, I believe, infidelity. Yeah, that's correct. And, uh, and, um, later that, you know, he got fired, he confessed. And then after that, his, uh, his paramour as the article said, uh, when, when a good morning America, uh, to yep. discuss the affair. Yeah. What does this make you think? I mean, you're, you, you kind of got like a funky smile, not, not smile, but kind of just like a, yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, <sighs> It, but but it fits with the celebrity thing, doesn't it? Like, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, I, I think he portrayed himself as a sports agent to this woman that he was having the affair with. Am I remembering that correctly? Really? No, I did. I did not. I think that's the case. In, in any case, um, look, I, you know me well enough to know that I I am very suspicious, naturally suspicious of any big personalities, regardless of what context we're in. Anyone who's kind of that big bombastic, uh, seems to draw attention to themselves kind of personality, I am immediately suspicious of. Now, let's dig in a little bit there. Why why is that? Um, Because I, I think that the primary reason is probably my perception of people like that typically seem to be talking a big game 
to compensate for a lack of substance behind it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and furthermore, I just think, especially in the ministry context, I think that just feels like the opposite of the kind of humility that sure. is supposed to characterize a ministry leader. So it, it seems to, if I can put these words in your mouth, it seems to cultivate something of, as Carl Truman would say, a cult of personality. Yeah. Or a, a following of the individual, maybe, and maybe not even of Christ, but of this person. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, I think, I don't know that we've told this, I don't think we've told this story on the pod, but um you've heard me tell this story several times before about the first time that I met Mark Driscoll. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) And um, I'll just tell it briefly because I think it's a good story. um, Mark Driscoll, maybe just for people that don't know who he is uh, maybe for some of our younger listeners, Mark Driscoll was still is actually uh, a pastor. Um, He was uh, a pastor in Seattle, Washington uh, had a vast ministry. I mean, my, my cousin was personally impacted by his ministry in Seattle, Washington, um, was kind of known as this bombastic individual, uh, didn't preach with notes, would preach for like I don't know, 90 minutes at a time, you know, um, and was, was eventually removed by the elders in his church for rampant pride, abusive, interpersonal relationships, those sorts of things. Um, and he has since picked up ministry in, I believe, Phoenix. Um, is where he's pastoring now, but, but you met him at a conference and he was, he was a very big deal in evangelicalism. What years were that? Probably 2005 to 2012. Is that, is that a fair time frame? Uh, yeah, it might've even extended a little bit beyond 2012, maybe. Yeah. Maybe 2014. I, I can't remember when, when Mars Hill just, uh, the church that he founded kind of collapsed. Yeah. Uh, but around there, but wh- when I met him, he was, he was absolutely, a big deal. And, um, I, I was at a conference and, uh, talking with, I, I won't name the person that I was talking with cause that it's probably unfair to, to single that person out, but I think so. Yeah. In any case, I was talking with this individual that is a friend mm-hmm. and, uh, and we were having a, a nice private conversation. And so Mark Driscoll walks by. And so this friend of mine who, who knew Mark, um, you know, says to Mark, uh, like, greets them and then says, uh, basically, uh, oh, this is my friend, Matt Harmon. He's a professor and, uh, you know, brief introduction. And, um, and Mark Driscoll looks at me. Now, he's a shorter man. He, 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 so he's got a little bit of little man syndrome in him. Um, 5'10", 5'8", 5'7", like we're... we're- I'm going to go five, eight. Okay. But obviously he's a thick dude. Like he's, he's, he clearly spent time in the gym in any case. um, He does one of these things where he literally like his, his head moves to do this. Like he looks me up and he looks me down, sizing me up and says, Hey, and then starts to have a conversation with our mutual friend in which I do not exist. (laughs) (laughs) So that did not create the best impression in my mind of, uh, of him. Uh, And so in any case, um, yeah, I mean, just his uh, again, for me, 
th- those kind of people that are very seemingly quick to self-promote are the people that I tend to be immediately suspicious of. Sure. Hmm. So in any case, um, this, this larger topic of celebrity Christianity, it means it, it's not exclusive to any particular theological camp. I think it's important to, to point that out. Sure. Um, you know, it, you, you might think of Hillsong church and say, well, you know, they have some questionable theology at points. And so of course, but you know, we could easily list off a handful of people from within the evangelical movement, from within the reformed evangelical movement, who in some way have compromised their ministry through failure. And so um, what maybe I think it'd be helpful for us at this point to, to try to isolate what are some of the issues that seem to be underlying this, uh, this tendency, the, this, this issue? Like, how do we get here and um, how do we notice it? What, 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 sh- what are some of the symptoms of it? Yeah, um, I, I think when, and, you know, I think one of the things that I look for is I'm looking at, when I'm looking at, you know, uh, who seems to be a, somebody who seems to be a rising star in evangelicalism, whether it's an R camp or, or another camp, um, what's, what's their relationship to fame, uh, do do they seem to really enjoy this? Uh, do they enjoy the the you know five star treatment they're getting, or are they uh, looking for ways to bolster their own brand on social media? The, those sorts of things. And when when I see that, I've, you can see it with a few guys. I I think that's entering dangerous territory. When when you fall in love with fame, I think I think it's leading you down a dangerous path. Um, uh, I, I think, you know, I think, I think David French ends his article really well, uh, in saying that, like, you know, it's not the, it's not the, the, uh, the, you know, it's not, it's not the moment you fall. That's the issue. It's the decisions that lead to you falling that, that, that are really the issue. And I think, I think part of that is, is really falling in love with fame and falling in love with yourself and thinking that, you know, God can't do this without me. Um, and I think it's that moment where God's going to go, no, I'm, I'm going to do this without you. Yeah. Um, what, what, are, what do you think of now? That's the first thing that comes to my mind. What about, what about yourself? Well, I think it's important to point out that this idea of celebrity Christianity is not new. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, when you think about, I mean, we, you and I serve at a school in a, in a town, Winona Lake, Indiana, that is in part well known for a celebrity Christian. Sure. Billy yeah. Sunday, a former baseball player who came to faith in Christ and became a traveling evangelist. The who, original Tebow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, that, and that was over a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this is a, a rel- it's not a, like it's a relatively recent phenomena, though the, the presence of social media has, I think, intensified and accelerated that kind of thing beyond what it used to be. But, um, you know, I think there's this, there's something to say for, and I think there's this, I'll put it in terms of the evangelical, broader evangelical movement. I think because a large number of evangelicals feel more and more culturally marginalized they're attracted to celebrities because they think, oh, 
Well, as somebody who's really well known can be an advocate for our views, maybe the culture will actually like listen more or accept us more. If we have a prominent person who is, uh, you know, identifies as a Christian, then maybe, maybe that will shed a favorable light on Christianity as if, as if the, the fate of the spread of the gospel depends on celebrity conversions, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that even just to say that, I, I hope makes it sound as ridiculous as it is. Because when you look at, you know, the, in one sense, even in the New Testament, like, obviously, you could say that Paul was a celebrity conversion within the sort of larger context of Jewish um, of, of the Jewish world at that time, that he was a well-known person already. But the gospel spread throughout the Mediterranean world through the ordinary faithfulness of everyday ordinary believers who shared their faith with their neighbors and demonstrated a changed life. That's how the gospel really spread. I mean, Paul would come into these towns and plant initial churches, but then he'd go on and leave. And so how do these churches grow and spread? It was through the faithful witness and testimony of ordinary Christians in their everyday lives. And, and Paul, even when he goes to write uh, the letter to the Romans, has, has not planted a church in Rome. Um, the, the gospel has on its, uh, you know, through just like you're saying, through ordinary means and, and through people spread all the way to Rome. Yeah, and he and Paul explicitly attacks what I would call, in one sense, Christ, uh, celebrity Christianity in First Corinthians, where he he rebukes the Corinthian church for different groups or factions forming, where you've got people saying, "Well, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas, like that's my guy," and he's like, "Stop it! Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. Each of us has a role, but ultimately." It's about Jesus and about faith in Jesus, not whether, you know, I baptized you or whether Apollos baptized you or anything like that. So I think that, you know, keeping that kind of thing in mind is, uh, is important. And, and, and I will just say, too, that one of the consistent issues you see across the board in these stories of failure is just a lack of accountability. Mm -hmm. That these that the people who tend to end up in these positions often are surrounded by people who will not say no to the, to the famous person who, who will not say that's out of line. You can't do that. Stop it. And you, when you surround yourself with people who just only affirm what you do, then you get to this mentality that says, you know, I, I can, I'm invincible. I can get away with anything. Yeah. Now maybe, maybe pivoting the conversation a little bit, doc. Um, there, there are well-known uh, preachers, theologians, teachers that you and I really, really like, respect, think highly of. What separates them from, from these other guys? Well, I think in general, one, one thing that I notice is that the people that I tend to respect who are still at some level famous, even within our circles, don't seem to go out of their way to pursue that fame. Hmm. That they don't that they don't come across as oh he's building a platform like he's really active on social media and he's leading up to a book launch or something like that like no that they, they tend to be famous because of 
the content of their ministry and the helpfulness of what they have done rather than um, any sort of image that they've cultivated through social media or hitting the conference circuit or, or whatever that might be. Um, I, I also think there's, there's a sense in, in some of those guys and echoing what, what, uh, what you're saying, but, um, I think there's also a sense that my goodness, uh, some of these guys really don't like fame or what it has to bring and will actually preach or teach things that, that would upset some of the people there. I think, I think John Piper is a good example of that. You know, just, just a guy who <laughs> owns the same suit for like 15 years, um, you know, will take the same suit to multiple conferences, you know, um, and uh, can't, can't stand uh, the, the fame and will actively preach in a way that, that tries to <laughs> upset people uh, at one, one level or another. Um, yeah. And I think that um, one key thing that, uh, and maybe we can transition this into, you know, what are the solutions to pushing back against this? And I would say that one of them is obviously the, the, the better accountability. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, too often, it seems like even, even if these sort of so-called celebrities are in a local church, they often don't seem accountable to their local church. Sure. And so I think the ones that that are better rooted, who have to answer to a team of elders at their own home local church, um, are are better positioned to avoid some of the uh, some of the dangers of celebrity. Hmm. I, I would also add that um, I, I think we've just got in the evangelical movement, we've got to do a better job of being slower to platform people. And, 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 you know, we saw a little bit of this with, um, you know, with the, uh, what seems to be probably a genuine conversion of Kanye West, you know, even as reports of that started to come out, there were some who were like, oh, we've got to give him a platform. We've got to, and it's like, um, no, actually, actually, that's probably one of the worst things you could do to a new convert like that. What would be best for him is probably to disappear from the public eye for about a year or two at least and just get discipled as an ordinary believer before he starts to use that platform. Yeah, no, I think that's a good word. Yeah. Um, Doc, anything else on this topic? Anything else you want to you want to highlight before we uh, before we move on? I'd say one more thing is that as we think about, you know, some of the conferences where the uh you get this where, where, where platform becomes an issue, right? Mm-hmm. These big conferences. I think we could maybe do a better job of trying to put what I might refer to as quote unquote, ordinary pastors yeah. on the stage. People who the vast majority of the people at the conference may have never heard of and may, might not have much of a Twitter following, but because people know them and, and, and know that they are a faithful pastor in their local congregation, that they give them an opportunity to, to, to preach or speak at a conference, to highlight the content of what they say rather than the person who says it. Yeah. Um, oh, goodness. I had, I, had, uh, I had one other thought. I, I also think um, 
getting people more excited about their current pastor, uh, allowing people to reflect on the good things that their pastors do, um, that uh, how, how they are gracious, how well they shepherd, preach, teach, those, sort, those sorts of things, I, sure. I think could be a, could be a, a helpful thing uh, uh, in this area. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm sure we'll come back to this topic again uh, in the future at some point, but um, I, I think it's a good note to leave it on is, uh, and maybe we can find, there, there's an article I'm thinking of, I can't remember who wrote it, um, but uh, I'm sure it was on the Gospel Coalition, but um, there was an article recently that I read that was trying to make the point of um, your local pastor is a better pastor than fill in the blank celebrity pastor like John Piper or somebody because they know you personally. Yes. And that very dynamic makes them a better pastor for you. Even if their preaching gifts are nowhere near what, you know, a John Piper or a David Platt or someone like that might be. Totally. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Because again, at the heart of the pastoral ministry is not just preaching, although that's central, but the ability to preach a message that is contextualized within your local congregation. And that is something that, uh, you know, John Piper, David Platt, or anybody else that you put in that category cannot do because they don't know you and they don't know your local congregation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Doc, is it time to transition to athlete here? Definitely. Let's, uh, we've got, Fewer options, but better options than we've had recently here, I'd say. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we've got, we've got two professional athletes. Why don't you hit, a, hit, hit, hit those for us? Well, uh, uh, David Robinson, uh, the Admiral, right. Uh, played yes. center for the Spurs, um, was a, was a large man, right. Seven footer uh, pl- went um, to school at the Naval Academy Yeah, and had to delay his professional career while he served out his um, naval commitment, yeah, um, pretty cool. And then uh, Mike Singletary uh, was a was a linebacker uh, for for the Bears, um, and eventually a co- I remember him as a coach uh, for the 49ers. Um, yep, legendary all time great linebacker for the Bears, to be sure. Uh, in terms of Ohio State athletes, the the most notable one here is Vernon Golston who was a defensive end from 2004 to 2007 and until recently held the single season sack record at Ohio state was broken by chase young. And uh, noteworthy in your mind is the fact that he was drafted by the jets who subsequently ruined him. Yeah, he could, he just couldn't get off the shine. He just couldn't get his career going. I'm not, I think he maybe, maybe had five sacks in his career um, played for the jets for three or four seasons before getting let go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was disappointed that he didn't have a better professional career, but um, who you, who you like out of this? Um, well, if, if we're going for the integrity pick, it's, it's uh, David Robinson. No, no question. <laughs> um, if we're going for the, for the fun pick, I think it's Mike Singletary, right? The, the dude uh, in a, uh, passionate, uh, get his uh, team fired up. The 49ers uh, pulled down his pants, um, and I can't remember what the speech was. I, I remember seeing it on ESPN at the time, but all I remember is that he pulled down his pants to to fire up his team. 
<laughs> well, that's some great criteria right there. Um, so do you go with the integrity or do you go with the ridiculous piece of sports trivia? Okay, well, I'm going to make an argument that you go with the integrity, especially in light of our main topic being celebrity Christianity. Okay. Um, I, I think we should probably go with the Admiral, the two-time NBA champ. And, and he was really a part of turning that franchise around. I mean, Greg Popovich, the coach there, was, was essential as well. But uh, David Robinson was kind of the key piece there. And... Um, Part of what he's also known for is he did win the scoring title in 19. Oh, what was that there? It was 90, 93, 94. And uh, he scored 71 points on the last game of the season to uh, edge out Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, and God. basically people criticized him because his team was just like, you're going to shoot the ball every time down the floor because they were, they, they were trying to obviously get him uh, the scoring title. But in any case, um, he also uh, professes to be a believer. And little known fact, I actually met David Robinson. You once. met David Robinson. I did. I yes. Yeah. yes. I was at a conference in Indianapolis um, with Campus Crusade way back in the day during his playing days. And the Spurs were in town to play the Pacers and they stayed at the same hotel we were at. Oh, fun. And uh, yeah, so bumped into him and, and got to talk with him briefly. So in any case, David Robinson, it is. David Robinson, it is. Yeah, great player. All right, one thing you like, John. Uh, well, this week uh, I discovered a website called Camel, Camel, Camel. Okay. I understand it sounds strange, but uh, Camel, 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 um, will, well, what it does is it works with amazon.com and it tracks prices on products on amazon.com. Um, and you basically put in a product and it will send you an email when it hits the lowest price it's ever been, uh, basically. Um, so, uh, for instance, I was looking at a board game, board games, while a ton of fun are also super expensive. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, you know, on Amazon, they're 40, 45 bucks, which is ridiculous. Um, so I put it in camel, camel, camel and hit send me an email when this drops and it dropped down to $25. I, I got an email and I went in there and purchased, uh, purchased the game. So, uh, look, if you're willing to wait, it's, it's, uh, super helpful. Okay. It'll even Great. show you the price, the pricing history of something. So, you know, what times of years it's dropped and those sorts of things. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So I'm going to go with a book that uh, I'm, I'm halfway through by Carl Truman called the rise and triumph of the modern self. Um, it's uh, it's not the lightest of reads, but uh, I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it's a very good cultural analysis, very um, highly praised across the board by a lot of different Christian writers and thinkers. So um, it, it is very illuminating in helping un understand how we got to this cultural moment that we are currently in. So um, I, I, I highly recommend it, though. Again, I will stress it's not a not a light read, though. If you go on to YouTube, he has recorded a series of eight lectures hmm. that are like 25 minutes long that kind of give the basic ideas of the book. So that's worth checking out. 
Uh, I'm also reading that about 50 pages in and it's, it's also very good. I'm, I'm yeah. enjoying it quite a bit. All right. Well, John, I think it's about time to call mission accomplished here. I think so. So, um, yeah, we've talked about Ohio State football, the winless Jets, the optimistic Mets, the Cleveland baseball team, celebrity Christianity, uh, my encounter with Mark Driscoll, and uh, my encounter with David Robinson. I mean... I didn't go into this episode thinking I'd talk about two quote-unquote celebrities that I've I've personally met, but there it is. Yeah. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> so I guess covering that ground, I, I guess we're really at a point where all that's left to say is, in fact, mission accomplished. And until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.